It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 1986. It's like the best basketball team ever. Of course we're going to spend a whole podcast talking about it. It's the Friday Locked On Celtics. Millie, let's go. John Corrales here from MassLive.com, welcoming you back to another Locked On Celtics podcast and thanking you for continuing to listen to the podcast. I really enjoy the fact that you're sticking around, and I'm glad so many of you have been tweeting me and saying how much you enjoy this historical deep dive that we're doing. It's fun. It's fun for me. I'm glad that it's been fun for a lot of you. Today, 1986. This is perhaps the best Boston Celtics team of all time. I know Tommy Heinsohn disagrees, but the feeling amongst most of us is that this 86 team, considering the differences in era and all of that, this team is stacked. Larry Bird at the height of his powers. Kevin McHale at the height of his powers. Robert Parrish at the height of his powers. They bring in Bill Walton. This is one of if not the greatest basketball teams ever assembled in the NBA. You don't need to hear me blathering on anymore about it. Let's get right to the conversation with me and Mike Dynan of RedsArmy.com. 85, the Lakers are celebrating in Boston. Uh, They get their first win. So that sets the Celtics up for uh, an amazing... 1986. Uh, you had mentioned before that Cedric Maxwell had hurt himself. Had um, this was the the because he wasn't himself. That's part of why the Celtics lost in 1985. Yeah. And there was animosity between Maxwell and Red. There's animosity between Maxwell and Bird, and the team kind of felt like he wasn't uh, he he wasn't working his way all the way back. He wasn't doing what he needed to do to come back. So that off season, they trade him to the Clippers for Bill Walton. Yeah, they that was the what was stated. I don't think Max agrees with that. That. Uh... You know, that he wasn't doing what he needed to do. I think he disagrees with that. Yes, he does. Uh, he just was not effective. He wasn't the player that he had been when he was healthy. And in 85, in, in the playoffs, the starters were playing heavy minutes. The Celtics really got nothing off of their bench. And in the finals, the Lakers were more physical than the year before. The rebounding was pretty even. That had been an advantage for Boston in prior years, and now it wasn't. 
And so all I can remember at the end of that 85 finals was the picture of Kareem running down the parquet with his fist raised, and that was not pleasant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Maxwell goes, he is now a Clipper, the Siberia of the NBA, uh, and eventually they, you know, the Celtics and, and Maxwell obviously make up, but at that point, there's, there is animosity. Maxwell is not happy about what happened. Uh, he's not happy about how he's characterized. He feels like he was run out of town. But in the meantime, the Celtics are now assembling a, a franchise that is, is, is trying to kind of fix some of the things that had gone wrong that previous year. And that 85-86 team brings in Bill Walton, uh, they they add at that point I think they add uh, Seesting, they add uh, let's see David Thirdkill comes in, they add Sly Williams they they they're they're kind of trying to fill out their bench uh, in that '85 season to to try to get um, to try to get some of the help to to get past the the Clippers, I mean the Lakers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That eighty-five, eighty-six season, uh, I call that the perfect season for the Celtics. They won sixty-seven games, which uh, I think is the franchise record, right? The they franchi- were f- the franchise record is sixty-eight. Oh, okay. Well, sixty-seven, close enough. They won. You won sixty-seven and lose only uh, fifteen. You've had an incredible year. Uh, they were 40 and one at home. They were 10 and 0 in the fi- in the playoffs at home. They had probably the best passing team of all time with Walton. They were very lucky in that Walton played 80 games. He's he would have been he was one of the greatest of all time, probably a top five center of all time. But he would have been so much even higher than that if he had been healthy all his career. He had so many foot problems. But in that one season that they had with him there, he played 80 games. I don't think he ever did that otherwise. Uh, so they got everything out of him that they could have gotten, and it was significant. So on to- that's on top of having, in my opinion, the best starting five of all time. Four Hall of Famers in Bird, Parrish, McHale, and Dennis Johnson, and one All-Star in Danny Ainge. So you that, had Bird Bird playing all 82 games, and again, his uh, MVP. This is third out of the three years that he won MVP. All five of those starters average double figures. Uh, they're all shooting uh, very well. Basically, um, Bird averages about 26, rounding up from point eights, 26, 10, and 7 for Bird. Uh, McHale has uh, – Bird's the, the, the team's leading rebounder that year. Uh, McHale is 21 and 8 uh, that season. Uh, this, this team this team is, is, is winning, but this is also a team that – uh, is is kind of getting bored at some points. 
with leads. They they hit up. It's funny they they won sixty seven games. They very easily could have won seventy games this season because they had a few games where they're like, oh, we ended up blowing uh, a lead to. I think there was a, a game against the Knicks and a game against the the. Who did they lose to at home? They had a, a Portland a game against Portland that they Portland. lost to at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they they go to like Cleveland and they lose they lose a game in Cleveland. They lose a double overtime game to the Knicks. Uh, games that they they could have won, they should have won, and they as good as they were that regular season could have even been better. That that this the record for most wins could have in the NBA been this Boston Celtics team if they were on for some of those games that they blew. Yeah, they actually lost their opening game that season. They were at New Jersey, the Nets, and they lost in overtime. And they had the loss on Christmas Day against the Knicks. Uh, That was a funny uh, day. I used to, when I couldn't watch a game live, I would videotape it. (laughs) And on a a VCR, if you wanted to watch the game from the beginning, you had to wait until it was over so you could stop the tape. Well, I used to have my wife check the, uh, the, the video recorder to see if the game was over. And don't tell me the score or anything about it. Just tell me yes or no, the game's over or not. Well, we were having Christmas dinner, so I put the tape on and I didn't want to see the score or hear the score. And I thought the game started at whatever time. Two and a half hours later, it should be almost over. Well, it wasn't over and it wasn't over. And now it's like three and a half hours. It's still not over. What do you mean it's still not over? What happened? Finally, it ends and she stops the tape and so i go to watch it and the celtics are up 25 and i'm like what could possibly have happened (laughs) they're gonna they're gonna it's gonna be just like a cakewalk here and of course they blew it and they lost in double overtime and wow i still can't believe it yeah they they were outscored in that second half uh 54 to 40 and yeah, they 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 lost that one in double OT. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories. 
It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. That Christmas Day game is an interesting one because Kevin McHale didn't travel with the team, and you watch some of the documentaries. This is this is a, a point of contention. Uh, the Celtics in '86, we remember them as dominant, and they were. Uh, we remember them as marching through the season, and they mostly did, but. They, in those moments, were not happy with the way things were going. And that, that Christmas Day game is one of those kind of flashpoints. I mean, they're 21 and 7, but they're, they, they do not like the fact that they are 21 and 7. Uh, and they decide that they're going to do something as a team. And I think what they came up with is we're going to give up beer until we win. <laughs> Uh, until the season's over. Uh, and it, that triggered a, a huge stretch of, of wins. I mean, they, they, after that game, won four in a row, and then they went on a massive winning streak after that. Yeah, that was, I do remember that. That was funny. And as a ancillary benefit, it kept Bird out of the bars so he could get in the fight. <laughs> I, Again, can't imagine like that's something that somebody would say on Twitter and that would get a bunch of <laughs> what you just said would be like a viral tweet, you know, because <laughs> I would be the guy that writes the story. Hey, Celtics say they're going to give up beer and you would quote tweet my link <laughs> and say, at least it keeps Kev- at least it keeps Larry Bird out of a bar so we can't break of his hand. And people would be like, oh. They they play that gift with the guy like like that's that's what would happen and it would be like a big thing. Uh, in the meantime, no over there it's like yeah whatever. Uh, so the Celtics <laughs> the Celtics win uh, after Christmas they win seventeen out of eighteen and there is only one more two game losing streak the rest of the season later on that season they whip off a 14 game winning streak uh they they kind of put things together to get through the regular season and kind of become that dominant force uh they go from 21 and 7 to 67 and 15 so after christmas they only lose eight more times yeah uh, they had win streaks that season of 8, 9, 13, 8, and 14. The streaks, that's something. That's nuts. And 
the the one game they lost at home was in December. They lost to Portland, and it was 121-103. And I recall that Portland had a big lead early in that game, and the Celtics in the second half, probably, uh, I don't know, late third quarter maybe, they, they made a run and got back to within one or two points. And then they just, as you, the saying goes, they let go of the rope and slid back. And Portland ended up winning comfortably. But then when they went out to Portland later that season, they were playing at, it was Valentine's Day. And that was when the game when Bird played mostly left-handed. <laughs> he talked about being bored. It was like he was bored with how good they were and how easily they could win. And so on a West Coast trip, he shoots left-handed the whole game. Not every shot, but he primarily played with his offhand. And they they won that game. I think he won, he hit the winning shot, too. Um, the left-handed game. The things that Bird did were, I mean, playing left-handed, calling his shots, hitting these buzzer beaters in people's faces, telling people, I'm going to get the ball right here. I'm going to hit the I'm going to hit the shot in your face and and doing it is is uh just insane. The, the greatness of Larry Bird just hard to fathom. It it actually it bothers me a little bit and I I, I can't let myself react. But when people try to minimize Larry Bird, like when you don't understand how good he was uh and people say things, oh, LeBron, LeBron would average 90 against these guys. Like, no, no, <laughs> no, no, he wouldn't. Because you not only drop LeBron into that era, you drop LeBron into that style of play. You drop LeBron into a place where, you know, he's, he's a different player. There's a different atmosphere. It's not the same. I and mean, he gets the shit kicked out of him. And I, I'm curious to see how he would respond to getting the shit kicked out of him in a series in, in the mid eighties. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the people that say that kind of thing, they obviously never saw a bird play. So they're just going off stereotypes or conventional wisdom. Uh, you had to have seen him play to know, you know, the only thing that bothers me about that kind of argument uh, saying a Larry Bird could never play now. The thing that bothers me the most about it is uh, the certainty that people say that with. Yeah. Now, they have no way of knowing, but they're definitely 100% sure that they are right. And you, I just don't, well, it's not fair, first of all, but it's just a bad look. It's, you know, well, it's, have, it's the it, hot take culture. It's what it well, is. It's yeah. a hot take culture. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, that's, Again, it's part of why, like, I mean, sometimes I think, man, why, why am I even on Twitter? <laughs> <If I didn't, laughs> I'm here because I have to be. Uh, they, the, this, and, and this is a generational thing. You know, people, I watched Larry Bird, and I, I know, I've seen it. Um, and people think, like, LeBron, okay, LeBron is a once-in-a-generation type talent, but it's not like he had to play against guys that weren't hall of famers, like getting past Dominique, getting past Olajuwon in this, in, in these finals, 
getting past Magic and those Lakers teams and so many great, great, great players who were obviously, you know, it's not, they're not as good as LeBron because LeBron is one of the, you know, top two players of all time at worst third. Uh, but bird is right there and bird bird was doing LeBron level stuff before LeBron was doing it. And, and it's, it, it has to be, it has to be kind of emphasized to younger fans. Like Larry bird was scoring, rebounding, assisting, all of that stuff at an extraordinarily high level. And, and not only like top, like he's like a top five player of all time. And, and this is, these are the peak. This is the peak of his powers. This is Larry Bird being so damn good that he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to play lefty today. I'm going to play lefty. And then, you know, when I need to, it's like the scene from Princess Bride. It's like, I know something you don't. I'm not left-handed. And he positions to his right hand and just finishes him <laughs> off. I'm like, all right, bye-bye. And so, um, but anyway. Uh, yeah. This, well, this, go ahead. Let me, let me chime in on that. Um, well, one thing, I don't know, maybe Larry is secretly left-handed because he does write with his left hand. I have, I've seen that. He signs his name with his, with his left hand. What did I say? He, he signs his name with his left hand. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. Um, so he's probably closer to ambidextrous. But um, just That's one thing true. about about Bird in the 80s. I mean, we were incredibly fortunate to have that. And I know there were many times when I would be watching him play, all of them. I mean, the big three and the, the top five starters. and I'd be watching them and think to myself – I hope everybody appreciates this because it's just, you know, it's going to be a long time, maybe never before we see somebody like this again. And the, we've been very fortunate as Boston sports fans to have players like Larry Bird, who are not just all stars, but, you know, they're top five players of all time in their sports. Bill Russell, Bobby Orr. Tom Brady, David Ortiz, people like that, you know, and they you end up with multiple championships. I mean, not every city is that lucky. We've had plenty of good fortune like that, and I used to make sure that I appreciated that when Bird played. And the Celtics uh, had a fantastic decade. They made the finals five times, and they won three championships. And you can only wonder what might have happened if let's say bird did not play in the same era as magic maybe the competition wouldn't have been as incredible but if they weren't head to head i always thought that the celtics would have probably won twice as many rings in that decade as they did and you could say the same for the lakers if they didn't play the celtics during that stretch those two teams they were so good. Well, 
Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. The one thing about Jordan, who I have acknowledged as the greatest player ever, uh, in my opinion, he didn't have the one counterpoint like Bird had magic, magic had Bird. Jordan didn't have that, so he dominated. And I think Bird or Magic would have done the same if they were on their own in an era as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's so hard to say how things would go. I, I, I really feel like those guys on their own, you, you could probably interchange them and put them in similar situations. Put Jordan on the Celtics. He probably has a similar career, similar results. Um I, I, the overwhelming similarity between those level guys is they are essentially mentally the same person that bird and magic and Michael and all of the greats Russell, like the, all of those guys mentally, they all have that same insane drive that pushes them to do things, to prepare, to practice, to add to their games, things that no one else would. And I've always said that about players that that are ultimately great because Larry Bird was not as physically gifted as a lot of these other players. He's 6'9", he's a big dude, he's obviously athletic, but by comparison to other players in in that day, he's not... Uh, a tremendous athlete. He's not out there like some of the guys that we've seen throughout the years who are just so gifted athletically that you don't even have to be good at basketball, quote unquote good, to be an NBA player. They're just so athletically gifted. But it didn't matter for Bird, Magic, Michael. Those are three, and, and those are guys with three different skill sets. But mentally, that drive was always there, and it's why they each won multiple championships and went to even more finals. Well, not Michael, but um, that they went into even more finals because they just there's something in, inside them, in their brains, that wouldn't let them not. Uh, so here we are, 86, the Celtics are basically March and there's nothing, there's nothing overly spectacular about this playoffs. Uh, the Celtics just plow their way through the competition. And the only remarkable thing about this, this playoffs is the Celtics do not get their preferred, uh, matchup against the Lakers because the Houston Rockets end up beating the Lakers. Uh, they, they, Advance to the finals. You have that uh, that signature shot. They they beat the Lakers in in five, and it ends in Los Angeles with Ralph Sampson doing that kind of like volleyball kind of over the head game winner for um, for Houston. Yeah, that was a surprise, of course. But as you said, it wasn't that close in five games. And I think the Lakers had their championship let down after winning, just like the Celtics did from 84 to 85. They had a letdown and maybe they weren't um, 
as together or as healthy as they might have been. And it uh, came back at them. The Lakers usually just cruised to the finals in the West. They didn't have the competition back then. They were the dominant team, and they were the only dominant team in the West, whereas in the East, the Celtics and Sixers, much of the decade, they were 60-plus win teams. And even Milwaukee, was who never made the finals, they had two seasons where they were 60 wins, and they were usually 55-ish around there. And so you had those three, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, who had to deal with each other, and then they get to the finals and probably have to play L.A. So to not see the Lakers in the finals was highly unusual. I should also add that when I say there's nothing remarkable about this playoffs, this is the playoffs where Michael Jordan comes in, scores 49 in game one, 63 in game two, and kind of bursts onto the scene uh, after missing uh, a significant portion of the season. If you've been watching The Last Dance, you've kind of seen the the story about that. But Jordan in the first round of that that playoffs was – at least in games one and two was just amazing. And, and it, that's the uh, Larry Bird line, God disguised as Michael Jordan. Uh, but the Celtics did sweep the Bulls. And in game three, the Celtics did hold Jordan to uh, 19 instead of the, the crazy numbers that he got out. He almost had a triple-double, but he was held mostly in check. And, and the Celtics ended up sweeping that series. But uh, the the remarkable – that was a remarkable thing that I we should kind of mention that happened. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, the Celtics actually uh, have a perfect record against Michael Jordan in the playoffs. They played him 86 and then again in 87, both times swept three games to none. So Jordan was 0 for 6 against the Celtics in the postseason. But, yeah, scoring that number of points, ridiculous. Um, and the only thing was he had a chance to win the game, that game two where he had 63. Mm-hmm. It went double overtime, and I believe it was at the like the final few seconds of the first overtime he had a wide-open jump shot from the key. If he had made it, the Bulls would have won, and he missed. So that was the one thing that the Celtics, the one bullet that the Celtics dodged that day. And everything else that he threw up there seemed to go in, and somehow the Celtics prevailed. But that's because they had a team that was just stacked. Yeah, it's funny. The last dance doesn't show Game 3 of that series with the Bulls when the Celtics held Jordan to a much more pedestrian 19 points and they finished off the sweep. But obviously uh, Jordan was you know special in that series, but it's just funny. It's just funny that when Jordan controls the narrative in the last dance, certain omissions, tiny little omissions, little things like that, the fact that they held him in check in game three. Uh, the Celtics did not take that uh, series very seriously they had beaten the Bulls very easily. Jordan coming back off the injury was obviously a big difference maker. So it is what it is. Jordan, throughout the rest of the 80s, 
is kind of stymied, but becomes maybe the best individual player in the NBA. And once he gets a little bit of help, then obviously the Bulls do what they do. So we will pick this up next week on Monday with 1987. And there are still a couple more podcasts to go in our discussion of the 1980s. We went way long. I mean, we started last week with a a podcast, an interview week of podcasts. If you missed that, two podcasts, uh, part one, part two with Danny Ainge, part one, part two with Tommy Heinsohn. In the middle of it, Robert Parrish. So make sure you've, you've listened to those as well. That's all 80s, a little 70s in there mixed in with Tommy. Uh, then this week, all 80s. Next week, a couple more podcasts. Monday, Tuesday, 80s. Then we get into the 90s. The 90s are such a, it's a down, obviously a down decade for the Celtics. And, you know, you get the Rick Pitino era. You've got tragedy with Reggie Lewis. You've got uh, a lot of things that change, a lot of things that go wrong. But it's a pivotal era as well. It sets the Celtics up for the turnaround in the 2000s. So we march on. Next week, we wrap up the 80s, get into the 90s. So go ahead and subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. It's uh, the best way to get the podcast directly to your device. So once it drops, you get it and you can listen to it right away. If you are a subscriber, thank you, first of all. And second of all, that five-star rating, a good written review, super, super helpful as we continue to try to stay on top of the list of Celtics podcasts and at near the top of the list of all basketball podcasts, those ratings and reviews really, really help keep keep this podcast up there. And of course, sharing the podcast is a great help too. spread the word. Tell everybody they should be listening to the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.